CBCC episode 61, my realization of the day. People talk shit on Rob Zombie a lot for, you know, having his hot wife in all of his movies, but um, wouldn't you? Isn't that kind of the dream when you get to make movies with your muse? There will be no Sherry Moon Zombie slander in this house, or I will have to have you dig through the ditches and burn with the witches and slam in the back of my Dragula. Yes, yes, y'all. Hello. We are doing it. We are doing it, baby. Do it, baby. Do it, baby. Welcome to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. I am your host, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram. And this is a horror movie podcast where we dig into the subgenres and franchises within our favorite horror movies. And uh, it is December. It's actually not December. Well, not while I'm recording this, but it's December to you. And uh, which means we do have a new theme this month to close out the year. And I'm not doing Christmas movies this year. Um, To be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of Christmas or the holiday season in general. Um, So I figured that we will focus on something that we can all relate to. And that is fucked up families. We are going to take a look at films exploring the joys and pains of being a family, and maybe a Christmas movie or two if you make the nice list. If you're naughty, it will be a silent night for you. But um, yeah, because I think in December, you know, there's so many, one, there's so many other holidays besides Christmas, but there's not a lot of movies on those other holidays. Um, I mean, I'm sure I could find some Hanukkah and some Kwanzaa-themed horror movies, but it'd be a little bit hard. Um, but so I do want to kind of just take a look at family movies, you know, something that regardless of what holiday you're celebrating, everybody is usually spending time with their family around this time, um, which can sometimes be a nightmare or sometimes you, uh, all you and your family, you guys are a bunch of weirdos and you're fucked up together and you love each other no matter what. Um, I think, um, these themes are explored in um, a lot of different horror movies. So, yeah, we're going to talk um, some fucked up families this month, and then um, there will be at least maybe one Christmas movie whenever we get down to it. But I do have a um, guest waiting in the wings to join us um, on, this, uh, on this new theme for the month. And uh, this is a very special guest because he has already made contributions to the podcast. You just can't hear them because um, our guest today... Helped um, edit a handful of episodes that were in the Bloody Blunts archives and uh, was a big stress off my back so that way I could get the podcast back on track. And we are here now and we're doing it. So um, I want to welcome Mr. Warren Bedensky. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, um, I am super, super happy to have you. Um, I mean, you've 
gotten to listen to hours worth of my voice already, and I have not seen you yet. You have been a mystery to me, so um, I am happy to have you on and uh, actually get to chat some movies with you here on the podcast. But um, yeah, just once again, do um, thank you big time for that. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, been great listening to your voice, making me worry because you have such a really nice, soothing voice, and I sound like this. You know, everybody hates their own voice because, I mean, if you find this soothing, like this voice of mine, like uh, power to you because I definitely don't either. Um, I'm like extra nasally right now because the air quality is terrible out here in uh, Los Angeles. You know, when we're casually having 90 degree Novembers, I, I that sounds like a flex, but it's really not because like the haze is so bad right now. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Yeah, but um, Warren is also a uh, producer and director in his own right um, as well. And you are working on a uh, upcoming film that you are waiting on the music for, and you're getting some things. But um, what's uh, some what's uh, some teasers you can give? Like, uh, what 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 are we looking at here? What do we expect from uh, Mr. Bedensky? Oh, um, if anybody's ever tracked down my first film, it's gonna be. Really different to that, I hope. <laughs> so I had a first film called Simon, a shameless plug on Amazon Prime. It used to be free, um, but I think you got to pay like 99 cents now to watch it. Um, but uh, yeah, the, um, I really wanted to try and do something that was, say Lynchian is the best thing I can come up with. It's not quite David Lynch. It takes a bit from like, you know, mm-hmm. Cash McCain things. The idea was to make, a movie that was about its subtext, but not just be about that. So it sort of presents itself as like this um, hitman story, but it's all about self-discovery and finding your own identity kind of thing. Interesting. And like, mm. what are, what are like um, you, for you as a director, cause obviously we talk like subgenres here on the podcast. Like mm. what are like some of the subgenres that like, um, that you're trying to explore or, um, you know, that we might um, see um, in, in other feature films that you do? Uh, I'll, I'll take a stab at anything. At the moment, gangster and um, horror seem to be the big ones because that's what the indie scene over in the UK seems to be. Mm-hmm. So if I get hired for stuff, it tends to be gangster stuff and my own stuff tends to be more horror influenced. So that's my big um, thing, um, mostly because I love the genre. And I think there's so much more you can do with it, like even on like the lower end of things. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, you know, when you try and like do big action movies or stuff and you're doing it on the cheap, like it doesn't, it never quite works because the choreography doesn't get to be as good. You know, the mm-hmm. sets aren't as nice. Yeah. But, but with horror, you can just have someone in a room like battling their own inner demons and just have it be you and someone in a zoot suit and you can make it really cool just on that. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like there's, so many possibilities that come from, you know, um, making stuff within the horror genre. I feel like that's where a lot of, you know, smaller budget directors do kind of start off in just because, like you said, you mm. kind of uh, get, you can get a little more creative with, you know, stretching that money out and it can kind of, the dollar goes a little bit further in a, in a horror movie versus like an action movie. But interesting that you say a, a cross of 
um, that you that you do gangster movies and horror. A a a, a crossroad we don't exactly see all too much. But I would, I would definitely like to see more of because, like me, I don't like gangster movies, like gangster mm. mobster movies. They don't really do it for me, um, unless they are like kind of cut with another subgenre um, to mm. kind of to, to kind of spice it up for me. Um, so I would uh, definitely um, be intrigued to see more films come at um, that intersection. That'd be really cool, actually. I'm just trying to think, because like. The moment I've worked on them, but the twain never meet so much. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, there was a really weird scene here, actually, for a while on gangster films where um, football hooligans or soccer hooligans mm-hmm. movies were big, like Green Street. Yeah, yeah. But everything had to be, like, related to that. And nobody wanted to make that. They just wanted to make gangster movies. So if you ever find, like, a bunch of mid two thousand like soccer hooligan films they'll usually have like the soccer hooligan at the beginning and then it'll just veer off into something completely different that's just a gangster flick Hmm. (laughs) really weird i mean i think you could and then you could kind of you know use that use that strategy and make that a a hard pivot from when you're doing a gangster movie and like especially because like gangster movies since they're so tropey you know i feel Mm. like you could really suck someone into it like if you like like present it like just like a typical tropey gangster movie and then that's where you can like use some horror elements like kind of to to make that hard pivot and then like spice it up i think it could be interesting i think we're on to something maybe we'll have to write it together maybe i think that's yeah i think so (laughs) yeah so uh, before we um get into the main movies of the episode um even though we're not really talking a bunch of um holiday horror um this year um that for this month but i did want to ask like what is a like kind of unorthodox movie that you might watch around this time um whether you know has to do with holidays or maybe it's just like a like cold set um movie as well like weather wise who knows but like what's a unorthodox movie that you would kind of like to watch around this time Ooh, um got a couple i think the cliche is obviously Die Hard, where mm-hmm. everybody fights over whether that's a Christmas movie or not. So we always watch that around Christmas. Um, one that <laughs> I seem to watch just to upset people is um, the Paul W.S. Anderson Death Race remake. Yo, I love that movie. Like, It's a, a cool movie, but it's also a Christmas movie, which I never discovered mm-hmm. until the commentary. Where they mention it's supposed to take place at Christmas, and there's like one shot in the bus when they're bringing the prisoners in. There's a Christmas tree on the dashboard. But that's it. <laughs> that's it. Like you don't even get snow. Oh, that's funny. Um, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I never even thought about that, but I do love that movie. I mean, the trilogy mm. itself isn't bad. Um, the mm. the the two sequels afterwards, they're not great, but they're not bad either. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a, a lot of fun. They're, and then they did a fourth one. Yeah, like it, it's 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 very dumb fun. Um, mm. that that I appreciate. I'm a big uh, Paul W. S. Anderson fan because, like, I mean, hey. he just you know he just does his thing. You know, he does his thing, and he like knows what he does, and he just doesn't care. He's just happy that he gets to like make movies at all, and like I love that attitude because he's also kind of mm. like a working man's director as well. You know. And and, yeah. and compared to Rob Zombie, also gets to work with his wife quite a bit. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's a 
Fall was actually one of my first um, director obsessions. It was like I started discovering who he was at an age where I was just discovering directors were kind of like yeah. people. I had to, like, but it's like literally like Event Horizon hit, Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. hit, and Resident Evil. And then suddenly it's like, oh, these are all the same person. Yeah. And it's an Englishman, which at the time was like, English people make films too? Yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Like, uh, uh, Tim Burton was that director for me whenever I was like, hey, all these movies, they kind of feel the same. Like, what's that all about? And I'm mm. like, oh, it's all the same guy. And like, like, and then you like start paying attention to that stuff more. I was a late bloomer on Event Horizon. I didn't catch that one till last year. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's pretty fucking lit. I, I do mm. enjoy uh, Event Horizon. Um, as far as a couple movies that, um, that I, plan to watch um around this time because uh last year i think i watched it in january um for the first time was um inside the 2007 french film and it technically is a christmas movie it's set on christmas eve and it is like it, it they and they also do use it for like a reason like you know this woman is dealing with this home invasion and basically they only use Christmas to explain away why the police are all busy out doing stuff (laughs) and can't respond to the home invasion fast enough, like in a timely fashion because it's Christmas Eve and like, it's like understaffed and like whatever. So it's like, they actually do use the holiday for a reason, but it is by no means a Christmas movie. Um, but like, I mean, just the bleakness of the movie and how just like very raw and visceral it is. It feels like it lends itself well to just like like a like chilly night watch when you're just like kind of at home and like you're like bundled up. And like even though it's the, the weather doesn't really play a large role into the film either. I don't know. It just feels like a cold movie and a movie to like watch when it's like chilly out. I don't know why. Like for some reason i guess bleakness in a blanket <laughs> sounds like a good chilly night to me mm, for sure yeah i'll have to check that one out i've not seen that one I, uh, my viewing of french films is sorely lacking <laughs> oh man the french they're they're fucked up like they're they're crazy um it wasn't as like um like i mean the violence it's it's definitely there and it is intense but it's like visually not it's not very visually like hard to watch, but it's like violence that you like really feel. Like I don't know how they like, you know, between like maybe the foley work with like the sound effects and then just like the performers, like the stunt people, like it just like it feels very real when you watch it. That's almost more upsetting than like actually seeing stuff on camera. Like or like seeing as like I mean it's it's also very bloody. This movie is buckets <laughs> of blood. Do love that. Um, but yeah, definitely um highly recommend checking it out. It's a very like I said um if you want to uh curl up with somebody next to the fireplace and then watch somebody get a baby cut out of them, you should should watch Inside. Good 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 movie for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am intrigued now. So. <laughs> I'm going to track that down. Oh, yeah. Please do. But um, I think we are nice and warmed up to get into our movies for the episode. (laughs) 
The Devil's Rejects, um, released in 2005, written and directed by Rob Zombie. So we did cover House of a Thousand Corpses on an episode um, last year, last October, um, and I didn't know when we were going to um, finish the Firefly trilogy, and, well, it's now. Um, I actually hadn't seen The Devil's Rejects Um the only, it, it, like, oddly enough, the only film I had left on my Rob Zombie watch list. I need to rewatch Lords of Salem, um, just because I did watch that one kind of half asleep. But I've seen everything else, and then this was like kind of the last one to get to. Um, I don't know if I just had the hype of like, oh, this is the one that people actually like um, from him. Um, you know, Rob Zombie's a pretty divisive director within the horror community. Um, I don't really have too much um, behind the scenes or production notes for this, other than this was um, Rob Zombie's second film. This is a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. I mean, it is. It does follow the same character, <laughs> the same storyline, but the tone is drastically different. So it doesn't feel like it. Like this could easily stand on its own if you haven't seen House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, but if you have then obviously you like kind of get the full thing here. Um, House of Thousand Corpses was a financial success, so they, of course, wanted a sequel. Um, he said he had an idea for a sequel and then um, decided to do this. And then this movie also um, it did pretty well, which basically got him the Halloween remake gig. Um, and then we'll kind of, at after we talk Devil's Rejects and then Three from Hell, we'll kind of talk... Um, a little bit more in depth about Rob Zombie's filmography, but um, this was Warren's choice. Um, so Warren, um, what made you want to talk about the Devil's Rejects today? Oh, I have such a long history of this film. Um, I was kind of blessed with a really cool job when I was coming out of school. So when this movie came out, I want to say I was around 17, 16, 17 or mm-hmm. something. And the first job I had was working in an autograph shop. So we sold autographs of actors, footballers, all that kind of jazz. But we had in-store signings as well. So my boss, um, he would would kind of act a bit like a signing where he'd get celebrities over to go and do like the the convention circuit in the UK and the trade office, they come to the shop as like a freebie sort of one as part of the deal. Well, one of his best friends, a guy named Ken Foray. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, he starts... Interesting. Start, yeah, he starts with, oh, I'm getting to work with Rob Zombie, because he's usually, he was quite shaven at the time, and then he started growing this beard out. My boss might making fun of him, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, the hair's not going to grow back on the top of your head. And he said this was, he said this was around 2007. So this around the time when he was doing yeah. Halloween. So post him doing this. Oh, no. So this was um, before. This is how we heard about the devils who just happened. Oh, okay. Was, um, uh, so you got uh, a, was cool. you got a scoop. Yeah, got, you got, you got the scoop on it. Um, yeah. We got- yeah. This, um, watching this for the first time, um, I, oh, 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 that's what I did have. I had a story leading up to this as well. Um, the, I remember this movie. So this came out in 2005. I was 11 at the time. 
And I remember I didn't know anything about Rob Zombie making movies. And I didn't know anything about House of a Thousand Corpses. And I just remember, um, I think I like saw the trailer for it. And it like something about it just like really scared me, like really freaked me out. I don't know what it was. Um, maybe it just like how realistic it like kind of looked. And I don't know. I had I had a whole different idea of what this movie was than what it kind of actually is. And I also remember being too scared to watch it and then not watching it because I started watching, you know, horror pretty young, but I didn't watch this one because this was the first time I had heard about what rape was. And I, I, I didn't, and I mean, I knew about sex and stuff. So whenever my uncle explained to me what rape was, because I think I like read it on the back of the box or something at Mm. the video store, I was horrified. Um, like to, to say the least, like, I was like, oh my God, that sounds like literally the worst thing ever. Why would I want to watch something like that? So for some reason, so knowing that this movie had rape in it, even though, I mean, this movie does technically have a rape scene, but it's like, it's an oral rape. Um, it's not even like a full on rape scene, but knowing, but me just as an 11 year old, knowing that this movie had a rape scene in it, I thought it was just like the scariest like most like untouchable thing like I didn't even like look at the box anymore whenever I was in the video store I was like <laughs> this movie is filthy <laughs> and I think that was like a part of the reason like subconsciously I just never got around to watching it <laughs> um, uh, yeah which is that I, <laughs> probably be me so now I was, <laughs> was in that phase where I started watching horror for a bit and I was in the extreme phase I think we'll go for a phase where we want the extreme stuff and then we kind uh-huh. of work out what our limits are and, and so like yeah. i'd seen irreversible before this and it's like well i'm dead to everything now <laughs> yep yep <laughs> uh, i i actually still haven't watched irreversible i'm a big gaspar noe fan i don't know i just it's, haven't felt like the mood has been right yet <laughs> yeah it's it's i want to compare it to like requiem for a dream where it's like technically fantastic Mm-hmm. Like the style of it is so weird and it's really interesting how it uses effects but it is a really hard and heavy movie like you it's not fun if someone puts it on their fun list don't talk to that person man yeah like <laughs> like you know I, I i've i've stretched my limits quite a bit um but i still there's like still some of the big names i haven't got into like i haven't gotten to irreversible still haven't watched martyrs yet Still haven't watched uh, Solo. Mars is good. Yeah. Mars is hard, but Mars I, is yeah, good. I've heard Mars is like absolutely <laughs> good, and like, and I and like I can stomach them very well. Like, like it's not even that anymore. But like, for some reason, when it comes to like those movies, I need to be like in just like the proper mood for it, and, and I don't always find myself there. Um, but this movie, is, I mean, or Devil's Rejects or Three from Hell for that matter. Yeah, and I think I think when it comes to the violence in this movie and the amount of blood, like, yeah, there's a lot of stabbing and lots of faces getting shot and um lots of definitely lots of blood and stuff. It never it doesn't feel overly gratuitous except like to the characters, because like that's like kind of part of the Fireflies thing. Like they are sadistic, crazy psychopaths and they like especially like get off on inflicting pain on people like physically and mentally they like to like fuck with your brain but they also like to just like cause 
amounts of pain. So it does like feel, it does feel like it, there's a reason for it. Like, even though I know a lot of people probably would throw this in the quote unquote torture porn corner of horror. Um, I wouldn't quite agree. So, um, to kind of lead into this, I did want to start off with some subgenre talk because, um, I think we kind of have to talk like the subgenre and the tone, um, especially in the difference between this and thousand and house of a thousand corpses. Um, and Rob Zombie did this intentionally. This movie is a lot more grounded, um, feels a little bit more realistic, a little bit pulpier, um, he, he brought on a cinematographer that, uh, specialized in, um, in document, in documentary filmmaking to kind of get the look of this. Um, it kind of feels like this, like, you know, backwoods noir film in a way versus house of a thousand corpses had an edge of comedy to it. It was very campy. Um, the characters were cartoonish even, um, to a degree, the, the characters of um, Captain Spaulding and Otis and Baby that we follow here in The Devil's Rejects. And um, so, like, the what, what, how do you feel about the difference in the tones and uh, the subgenres between, like, this compared to House of a Thousand Corpses? Uh, it's one of those rare examples, I think, uh, changing the genre completely seemed to work in its favor. Like, House of Housing Courses is like a mad fun house. Like it's purely mm. insane. You'd never think it was the same kind of thing as this, but it was like glossy as well. You know, there was like very tripody, very still. And mm-hmm. talking about like documentary um, cinematographer coming on board for this one really makes a lot of sense with how this is all like handheld and gritty and um. I remember Rob Zombie talking about it being a dark Western. He considers it more of a Western. Yeah. I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. Um, of course, there's another genre that I'm not too like well-versed in. <laughs> like My Westerns are Back to the Future Part 3 and Tombstone. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I'm I'm pretty similar actually. I'm not a I'm not a fan of westerns either, but like also kind of similar how I was talking about gangster movies when a western movie formula is like taken and then like bent into, you know, another subgenre, then that's whenever I'm interested. So like I like, you know, like the like neo-westerns, I suppose. And this feels that way, but then also it's like, you know, it's it very much is like this, like, you know, down and dirty in Texas kind of, um, you know, pulpy, um, noir-like feel in, in, you know, with like, you know, it being a, a modern Western, even though this takes place in the, in the 70, late 70s, but still a modern Western um, either way. And, I mean, me, honestly, me per, per, personally, I enjoy... House of a Thousand Corpses the most out of the trilogy. I guess I'll go ahead and say that now. Mm. Um, because I do love how fantastical it is. Um, it like it it feels like House of a Thousand Corpses, I always say is the the um the best Texas Chainsaw remake we've ever gotten. Uh, um, yeah, you know, yeah. even though I do like the the Platinum Dunes version from 2003, which came out the same year. Mm. But um, House of a Thousand Corpses might as well be like a, a complete homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's kind of weird because I guess they did it like the opposite of how 
TCM actually did because TCM, the first one is like, you know, the straightforward pulpy uh, noir kind of style. And then the second one is when they get fantastical and like even the like sets from like inside um, like the cave of Texas Chainsaw 2 and House of a Thousand Corpses, like inside the Firefly house, like look very similar. Um, yeah. And 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 Zombie did say Texas Chainsaw Massacre was an influence for this film, which I can still totally see. Um, but you know, th- they not only change like you know the tone and the subgenre of the film, but like um, our main trio also you know kind of changes their performances a little bit too, like. Um, the, the devil's rejects is where each character feels the most sinister, um, than, than they do across like the trilogy. Um, I mean, Otis is terrifying in house of a thousand corpses already as well. Um, but baby is a lot more cartoonish in that one. Um, and then so is captain Spaulding to a degree, but then all of them feel very sinister and dangerous in this one. And that's what the my favorite part of this film is, is honestly the way that they treat these characters, you know, like and in this one, we're on for the ride, you know, um, like kind of more on the outside, like as like kind of like, you know, the cops witnessing all this going down and we're kind of, you know, in the sheriff's head a little bit. And, you know, we are made to feel like these characters are a threat. And even though they are very they are still entertaining to a degree. There's definitely not a sense of, you know, like anything that you feel for them. Um, You still are disgusted by them no matter what, even if they are saying something funny here and there, you are still like, just like very terrified by them. And that's like easily one of my favorite parts is especially the, um, the, the chemistry between Bill Mosley and Sherry moon zombie as uh, Mm. baby and Otis, like, they really do have that sibling kind of, um, you know, bond and like the way that they interact and bicker with each other, but then also like, you know, pump each other up and have each other's backs. And I never knew in House of a Thousand Corpses, I never realized that Captain Spaulding was their dad. I don't know if that was just kind of retconned into this one because I don't remember them mentioning it in House, but... Either way, like the the family dynamic is like truly there, and I'm actually really glad that we did pick these movies to talk about because like you you're watching these people that like you know in their most crazy fucked up ways still love and care for each other and like will do literally anything to protect each other, and like that that's easily I feel like one of the the stronger points of the film for me. Absolutely. I think uh, one of the things that always fascinates me is this movie is um, like almost a strong word, but I do think in the right sort of trying to think of the way to word it properly, but like in the right sort of way, kind of like these characters in that, you know, you sort of want to get away with it, but then you're like, oh, you really don't. And, you know, if we met them in real life, we'd be terrified and you know, would never like associate with them. But they're, they're kind of cool when they're doing their things together and yeah you know, in, that, in that weird like how people sort of look at uh, like um like like Hannibal Lecter you know you, you kind of want him to get away with it at Silence of the Lands but you, you'd never want it in real life you know yeah no it's like yeah like you said likable is a strong word 
but they but they are all just so charismatic like it's hard not yeah. to be you know charmed in a way by them but mm. it's like like for me it's like i definitely don't want them to get away i'm like but while they're doing their shenanigans i definitely enjoy watching them do it because they 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 have they're very theatrical they have style to them um i mean like i said otis is absolutely terrifying he is a fucking maniac he is mm. absolutely disgusting i mean he's like he like fucks corpses and fucking rapes people and like does all this crazy shit but man the way he talks and delivers his lines and his monologues and just some of the things he says it, like you get caught up in it and you're like eh, he's kind of got a point there like you know like he he's one of those characters even though he is absolutely vile and like like this is my like favorite it's my favorite bill mosley character like he is so good at playing otis like it's it's scary good yeah absolutely you know maybe slightly worry about bill like he's an actor right (laughs) right yeah (laughs) um apparently he's like one of the like sweetest guys at conventions and stuff like he loves um traveling around doing conventions and all that jazz so apparently super sweet guy thank goodness (laughs) yeah and he signed a poster for me, so I have to thank him for that for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, sure. and 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 like I mentioned in in the cold open, like you know, Sherry Moon Zombie is a point of contention with a lot of people within Rob Zombie's films. I to- I love her. Like, is she a great actress? No, not. I mean, like by like she's not going for any awards or anything. But yeah. I mean, you want to talk about like just like committing to the bit and like really like inhabiting a character um i think she does it best with baby like you know like throughout the three films you know you see you know the the character trademarks that she has and like you know like the way that she dances and the way she moves and the way that she like annoys people to like kind of get in their head and like um and she's always singing and like making like kind of nursery rhymes and stuff like um the, she does a lot of very specific things that she is you know, playing a character and she does it very, very well. Um, Absolutely. I think, uh, I think, I think people conflate bits of the baby character with Sherry because baby has that like Harley Quinn thing where she can be annoying at times and when she's being a bit shrill or whatnot, but that's the character. And I think Sherry brings it in this movie as well, particularly when like the tables turn Later in the film, and they start, um, they're tied to the chairs, mm-hmm. or when she's having to like uh, run afterwards. So I think she brings some real emotion there. It's like I forgot about that watching this time. So like, no shit, no. I think I don't think people give uh, Sherry enough credit actually these days. Yeah, <laughs> please go back and rewatch some of this. Like, and and I like that she gets, you know, she gets a little bit more throughout each movie, too. I feel like I'll actually have more to talk about Sherry in uh, Three from Hell, because she kind of is the one actually carrying that film. Um, Yeah. But this one, I will definitely say it's like, you know, this is Otis's show, um, you know, all the way. And. Um, and I like the, the simplicity of it, you know, we, we get caught up at the beginning that this is the, after the events of House of a Thousand Corpses, um, we see inside the house and like, you know, just like how just decrepit and vile they are. And there's, they, I love the, this opening shootout, you know, where, you know, they're kind of prepared for what's coming to them. So they have these like homemade, like iron, like body armor suits on. 
um, ready to like get out of this um, shootout. And it's like, you know, they, they all like get ready within like a matter of minutes, you know, it's like, that's how, how on the same page they are as again, a family, nonetheless, like, you know, a family of killers, but family nonetheless, that they have their plans ready. They know what they're going to do. The fucking uh, mama firefly is like willing to stay back. So that way they can like get away. She was willing, she was going to kill herself first, but then she, you know, she gets captured by the sheriff. But, like, she's literally willing to do what she's got to do to fucking save her psychopathic kids, you know? Um, so I do like um, the, the the way that it starts. And then also, uh, shout out to Tiny being a real one. Um, also, mm-hmm. again, like, you know, they they love Tiny as a character. Like, they, he is their, one of their other brothers from the first film. And, like, he's this, you know, grown, you know, kind of deformed giant man. And, um, you know, they, you know, love him, but then he literally like, you know, sacrifices himself so that way they can, um, so that way they can get away, um, which was also a really nice send off cause this was, um, the, uh, the actor's, uh, final performance, um, uh, Matthew McRory, McGrory. He, uh, he was also uh, the giant in big fish as well. Mm. But uh, but yeah, so it was kind of a nice uh, send off moment for for him. Uh, they dedicated this film to him, and mm-hmm. um, but again, it's like you see, you know, what they're all willing to do for each other to like keep each other safe and to like you know like help them survive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's always funny. I always felt they like screwed Tiny when I used to watch this film back in the day. We're like they're like, oh, we'll come back for you, and he goes in the house and gets blown up. Well, yeah, watching well, this, I was like, oh no, they're saying goodbye. Yeah, they're like, saying all the nice things, but watching this time, like reading Bill Mosley's face, it's like, oh no, he's he's saying goodbye to Ta- to Tiny. And yeah, he, yeah, he he looks at him and he says, "Are you sure about this?" Before he said, yeah. and like Tiny nods, and I think, and when he says like. Uh, we'll come back for you. Like I read it as like we'll come back for like your ashes, you know, to like properly take care of you. But like, it was definitely like a a goodbye in that sentence. Yeah, I feel like crazy that that went way over my head for years. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. Um, we and it, uh also carried over. Um, we have Mama Firefly, but it is played by a different actress. And at first, I was upset that it wasn't Karen Black. Um, playing her um, in this one. But then when we get to uh, the interrogation scene later um, with the sheriff, then I was on board with this new actress, uh, Leslie Easterbrook. Because, man, that interrogation scene, she goes for it. She goes wild. And it's, like, so funny because, like, you see her playing shades of baby, you know, because, like, it's her mom, so it makes sense. Um, but that interrogation scene, like Leslie Easterbrook, like, oh, like kudos to her. She, she goes for it and she nails it. I loved it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh, if you get the, uh, Blu-ray or DVD, that's like a huge making of, you get to see her audition tape and it's like that scene in her audition tape and it's ah. like just in an office room, nailing it, like the same kind of like vibe and intensity. It's amazing. Oh, that's so fun. Um, I actually, I really love that. And that's pretty funny. Um, there's also um, just one. Uh, I mean, we already mentioned 
you know, Ken Foray is in here as uh, Charlie, um, one of Captain Spaulding's, um, you know, confidants in a way. Um, you know, he's a genre movie legend. A person that pops up in a couple of Rob Zombie's films, I think this was the first appearance, is E.G. Daly uh, plays the character of Candy in this movie. E.G. Daly is the voice of Tommy Pickles in the children's animated show, The Rugrats. <laughs> no way. So every time I see her in a Rob Zombie movie, it just like makes me laugh. Um, her doing these like crazy depraved movies, but she is like the voice of like so many kids' childhoods. Um, it just makes me laugh. Um, because I know she she pops she's in thirty one as one of the killers. I think she's in like I can't remember what else she's in, but um, it's just always funny whenever I see her uh, in there. We have Danny Trejo's in there as a as a bounty hunter. Um, yeah. love having that. <clears throat> That's cool. Ah, there's so many faces in this one. Like yeah. Michael Berryman's there for a hot second. And and I like that Rob Zombie is also like he's one of those directors that uses a lot of the same people um throughout his films. Um, which I always, you know, think is uh says a lot to, you know, as a director, you know, when people wanna like return and continuously work with you, you know. Um, so it's always like, I, I, I always like that even when it's not the films that are like connected, like, you know, just this trilogy, but like when you see people pop up in multiple of, um, a director's films that like kind of, you know, makes it feel like its own like little universe. Yeah, absolutely. Like even, you know, in the films I've sort of worked on little shorts and things, I always love bringing people back like myself as well. And, uh. I always find it's like strange if when directors do you get some directors who really like push to work with new people all the time. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of odd to me. Like I always like that family dynamic. Like you know, like, and knowing sort of Ken tangentially through a couple of other people, he always likes talking about the people he gets to see all the time and things. Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of these horror actors are friends as well. They see each other in the convention circuits and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Well, a movie like this is a big hangout for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm 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 a total cuck for um on the Wikipedia pages for directors when they get a chart, you know, and it'll like have the the films and then the actors, and you see how many X's are on the chart by how many different films, and like you see all the crossovers and stuff. Yeah, I love yeah. that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love those charts too. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so yeah, like the, again, like I feel like the performances are some of, um, you know, the stronger aspects of the film because like even, even the guy playing, uh, the sheriff, uh, like William Forsyth, he's playing this, you know, very comically serious sheriff and like his character's funny because like he tries so hard to be like big, bad and tough yet. Like he has to try to get like all these other people to help him catch them, you know? So it's like he he always wants to be big and bad and like try to intimidate people, but it's like, dude, you you literally can't catch three fucking redneck killers, like and like, but you still want to try and be big and bad all the time. Like even his performance, like he knows exactly like the performance he should be giving in this movie, and he like, I mean, he chews his scenery up whenever uh whenever he gets the chance. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, totally, I am. Yeah, I think Rob has that um, 
way of finding actors who are just willing to go for it and then let them go for it as well. I think you tend to end up with bad performances when people like phone phone it in the wrong way, but like when a director doesn't have faith in letting someone just be big or trying yeah. out or you know, building these characters and just keeps them in a generic sort of box. Oh yeah, no, I I one hundred percent agree. Like um Rob definitely you can tell he lets his actors like unwind a little bit. There's a lot of improv going on between like you know some of these comedic beats and stuff and like you know some of these zingers from otis and um and um sid haig as uh captain spaulding as well like you know i imagine a lot of those are just like him you know letting the actors like kind of goof off and riff and stuff and um i i I like you know a little bit more relaxed approach when you kind of let the actors inform their character a little bit more um Yeah, so it seems to be an advantage for using so one of the things Rob always talks about is using older actors. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of these people don't tend to get these kind of roles, they always want them, you know, teens or true, like true. And he always says he finds it finds older faces more interesting. But the advantage you also get is you get these people who they're used to it, they've done it for 20 years, they yeah. know how to riff and they need to riff. No, that totally makes a lot of sense. You know, it, I mean, ooh, I mean, I, I say we need him and everything, but a, a true ideal matchup is we need Nick Cage in a Rob Zombie film like yesterday. Oh my goodness, I would pay good yes. money for whatever that would be. Um, you know, I mean, I want Nick Cage in everything, but for real, for real, I think him and Rob Zombie, you know, Rob Zombie would understand, you know, the the chaos of of Nick of Nick Cage. Absolutely. Like, how has that not happened? Like, I'm sure Nicholas Cage's automated response on his emails is like, yes, I'm looking forward to this. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And yeah, that's his signature on every email. <laughs> can't wait to, can't wait to see you on this project. Send me the script. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> uh, you know, and that, and that gives me hope that I could someday hire Nick Cage, you know, like it, it gives me that kind of hope. But, um, but anyways, um, and, and, but one thing I do want to point out though, like one of my, I, I mean, I can't say favorite scenes, but I mean, yeah, favorite scenes is I like that, you know, this, this opening intro, we kind of see the devil rejects being badasses and they make this grand escape away from the house and stuff. And like, you're kind of rooting for them for a minute. You're like, yeah, they're on the run. And like, okay, they're going to stop off at this hotel and like just cool off for a minute, you know, until uh, things cool down, then move on. Then it's like, no, of course, when they want to go get a hotel room, they have to accost all these people and just like torment them for a hot minute. Mm. And it's like this hotel scene is dev- it's like very disturbing because like I like that it's the scene that like is like to remind us like, hey, no matter like how like charismatic these characters are like they're fucking gross. Like these are terrible, like, you know, terrifying people. And it's like kind of that scene to like, make you like kind of snap back and like, and it also just like kind of informs you like this movie is, you know, different than the versions of the characters that we got in house of a thousand corpses. Like, you know, like just like Otis, like the way he like talks to people and then he's like, you know, dragging the gun and putting it down this, down the gal's pants and shit. Like it's a very unsettling scene. 
Um, and like just the, the placement of it, I think is just very smart to like, just be like, Hey, don't, don't get too chummy with these guys. Like they're, they're, they're terrible. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, we've all been fun and games, but do remember these people have killed and horribly tortured people like this. <laughs> you know, oh. Yeah, it's really intense. I forgot how intense this scene was, actually. Yeah, and it just like you just kind of see the way that they revel in getting inside people's heads and just like mm-hmm. inciting this fear and then like still giving them even like a little sliver of hope, but then also like at the same time, Otis always just like kind of dashes it away. He'll just be like, yo, there's really no point in talking. There's nothing you can say. Like, you're, you're already fucked, so just accept it now. Like, you're already fucked. And like the... The, the way that he's so blunt with people is um, just, like, very, very off-putting. Um, but, uh, again, like, just, like, how terrifying he is, like, Bill Mosley is, he's, he's, he's real good. He's real, real good. Yeah. I don't know if there's much else to add to that, but, yeah, he's just so good because it switches, like, you know, that nice charismatic when he's with his family and then that monster when he's, just wants to fuck with people yeah. and horribly butcher them. <laughs> and it never feels like, I find it never feels like two different roles put together or like one doesn't feel true. You know, it all mm. feels true to the characters. Yeah. And then like, and then just like, again, like them being just like even more sadistic as like when the maid comes by and, you know, and they could, you know, just like kill her quickly and like, let it be that. And then it's like, or no, no, or like when the maid's coming, but they had that one gal. The like they pretty much killed everybody else, but they still had like one gal mm-hmm. from when they were torturing them in the room. And then so like when the maid gets there, and it's like, oh, we could just like you know end her suffering. She's already tormented enough. They're like, no, let's put the skin of her boyfriend on her and make her like run around out in the. I I assume they like maybe like tie like closed her mouth shut so she like couldn't like actually ask for help. So she was just like chasing the maid around. One, yeah, one, I hate, yeah, I hate when people wear other people's faces, it's disgusting and terrifying. Um, because I I always did remember that scene, I think that scene was like a big part of the trailer. Um, was her running around with the the skin on her face, like chasing the nurse, and then just gets ran over by a truck. Like, god damn it, like y'all are just too much, yeah. (laughs) It's uh, it's more, it's one of those scenes that. It's more like messed up the more you think about it. You know, they're, they're hung on the door. Like she's she's cracked and lost her mind like completely at yeah. this point. You know, to the point where she just has to run to let all this emotion out. And she just gets by hit by a truck. Yeah. Like poor poor gal. Um and then um so then after that we pretty much just get um you know, all these different people are coming after him now. We have uh, the bounty hunters are coming after him. Um, and then we also have, you know, the sheriff is just sending all these different people. And, um, you know, Devil's Rejects just keep dealing with them one by one. Um, I love that there's a great scene of baby. Um, uh, somebody has a, one of the bounty hunters, like, has a gun up to her. And then she fucking throws the knife before he could shoot her. And then I like that that comes back in um in three from hell uh, but i i remember like damn nice shot baby um but i like that they bring it back later mm. <laughs> um and then um 
uh yeah and then uh we get the we get the final showdown and like i like that the sheriff is, is like also like cracked by the time he's like you know we get to this final showdown and he's like lost his mind because he's just like so crazed with um wanting to kill them and like everything he's went through to get there and like he's also just like a, a maniacal you know person at this point um and um we, we you know and he's like getting drunk while he's like torturing them instead of he could like easily just like you know kill them or arrest them while he has them you know but like by this point like he's like just like kind of crazy too so then like this is a point where again they they kind of do sway us into being like okay now you you kind of do want them to get away now um so it does feel um really nice whenever you know they turn the tables and still able to escape away <clears throat> leading to um the the free bird shootout i've heard so many things about a little bit disappointed by that. I mean, it's a great needle drop for the scene, but like also like I thought that shootout was supposed to be like more epic or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, that's uh, that's a scene that like works so much better when you don't really know it's coming, but you've never had people talk about it for years. I remember seeing that in the cinema. Okay, yeah, like, this is my favorite ending like ever. <laughs> yeah, because it feels like kind of like. Feels a little like like heat, a little bit like Thelma and Louise, um, like you know. There's lots of different influences there, but um, I mean, I will say um, the the Neil drop is nice. Um, this, the soundtrack overall is really good. Has a good rockabilly soundtrack to it that um really fits along with uh the film. You know, obviously Rob Zombie like curates all these um. Like, he doesn't do the scores usually, but he does usually always help curate the soundtracks for him. Um, because, obviously, he's got taste in music. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, there's one thing I was going to say. was like, oh, all the music in this is really good. Like, the score is really good. I think it was Tyler Bates. But also, like, the, the tracks that um, Rob Zombie picks. It's one of my other favorite ones mm-hmm. is um, When They Get Caught. And it's got, like, a it's like a chill kind of, there's a bit of soreness sort of song going over the top of it. As you just get the montage of the bounty hunters finding them in the brothel. And yeah. just going through the window. <laughs> I like that we always have um, one scene of Sherry Moon dancing to a song in like every movie <laughs> she's in. Always got to get that, um, that dance sequence in there. Um, but I enjoy them because like it, again, like feels like it like, is like something like a part of her character, you know? Um, mm. but, but always great needle drops on those scenes as well. Um, and, and, and I think another reason that I do like house of a thousand corpses a little bit more is because I like some more of, I like, um, Rob when he's making more stylish and like more ambitious editing choices. Um, Oh Yeah. And I mean, House of Thousand Corpses all over the place. Like, but he he's doing all sorts of weird shit. Um, like, you know, these crazy dramatic zooms and the slow motion and like and the the colors that he picks and like when he does like split camera effects and stuff. Like I like when he just like kinda lets it fly, but I can also see why people do enjoy this film because like I think it is like still like his uh, I'd say actually Halloween might be his like best like as far as like filmmaking quality goes 
might be his best, but this one is up there too because it's, he's a little bit more restrained, pulls back a little bit, but it's funny because I don't at this point in his career I don't think he knew how to film slow motion properly because in this and House of a Thousand Corpses when there's like a slow mo thing, it's like you can tell he like filmed it at the proper speed and then just slowed the the footage down instead of shooting it at a higher frame rate so that way when it slows down it's like still nice and smooth. I don't yeah, think he I don't, just wanted a different oh. Well because in in 3 from Hell he does slow motion properly. So if this mm. was a creative choice, he would have had to do the choppy slow motion in 3 from Hell to keep it consistent. So I just think early in his career he didn't know how to do it properly. <laughs> mm. Or maybe he didn't even think about it until editing. It's like, oh, you know what? That scene would be really good in slow-mo. Yeah, I mean, true. It's 70s movie, so the choppy slow-mo is cool. We can do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he definitely leans into it by how much much he uses it. Mm. Um, But, yeah, like, I I like his uh, a little bit more ambitious side. But I really did um, enjoy this movie. I didn't, like, love it or anything. Um, I like I said, like not even as much as I like House of Thousand Corpses, but um, definitely do enjoy it, and I can easily see why it's um, you know, a lot of people's favorites. That's good because I think this one is my favorite. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I think um, anyway, like like House of Thousand Corpses swings for the fences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could. I there's a real big argument say this one definitely plays it way more safe in terms of just presentation, like how he's telling the story. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of thing where like I think House uses every trick in the book, and not in a way where it feels forced either. I think they managed to really cobble together that in such a interesting way where it all works. Yeah, I mean, would you say, would you say, I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but would you say this is his most accessible film, (laughs) quote-unquote? No, I, yeah, I think that's, um, probably, yeah, I reckon it is, because even though it's, like, in terms of morality, like, super gray between the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah, but, but as far as, yeah, as far as general audience accessibility, I would say this one is like the most normal of his movies. Yeah, yeah, I, I go with that. Yeah, but um, let's go ahead and take a minute to talk about the third installment of the Firefly trilogy as well. Hulk! So three from hell wasn't released until. Way, way later in 2019, also written and directed by Mr. Robert Zombie. Um, this is the third film after the, um, in the film mentions the House of a Thousand Corpses murders is what the events of the first film were known as, but also known as like the sacrifice murders. And then um, this is, takes place 10 years uh, in, in the film's canon, obviously. It came out 15 mm. years later, but in the film's canon, 10 years after the events of the Devil's Rejects, um, the Firefly family has been in prison this whole time, and they are um, have been sentenced to death, and they are on death row, um, and then they just, like, 
you know, kind of pick up in, I like that they reflect today's, today's, um, kind of ideologies into, you know, like, cause obviously like when this film was released in 2019, but it still took place in the eighties, um, this, you know, uh, sensationalization of, of people, uh, through the media and like, we kind of, um, get this like, you know, funny news montage of, you know, people thinking that they didn't do it or like thinking they're innocent and like think they're, 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 they're like these anti-heroes against the system and establishment and like all this shit, um, <laughs> which is super funny, like, cause they're literally only thinking this just because like they're being, you know, covered on the news so much and on TV and like, it just like kind of people get these inflated ideas about who these people are. Um, and I found that like super funny and like very mm. accurate to like, you know, kind of how things are today. Like, no, these people are straight up serial killers and like you can have proof literally in front of your face and people will just be like, nah, I don't know. Like, or, you know, or even if they do do it, they're not that bad. Like, cause they're, they're against the man. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Just that whole sort of thing. It's like, yeah, free the free. Like, I, did you see the house? Yeah. I can show you the house. Like, like, yeah. Did you see the house? Did you see the shootout? Did you see, like, you know, like, uh, it's so funny. Um, but I feel like it's uh, very, very accurate, though. Um, and the um, the whole death row angle um, was kind of worked in because this was the final film of Sid Haig uh, before he passed away. Um, he had to ask for his role to be smaller just because he was already having health issues. Um, so we basically get, you know, one scene of Captain Spaulding, you know, telling, a, you know, getting to throw zingers at a reporter um, for one more scene, um, which, I mean, I feel like was, you know, the best send-off we could have had, especially just, like, where Sid Haig was with his health. Um, so they used that, and they rewrote the script um, to be able to write him out to, so that way they could bring, um, you know, just so to minimize his role and then Richard break, you know, kind of slides right in, um, you know, to get, to keep the, the, the firefly gang as a, as a trio. Um, but the, the way that they did it, I think was very smart. Um, and you know, we kind of, they even, you know, showing pictures of like Captain Spaulding, like doing all these terrible things, but it was, like, also, like, you know, still felt like a nice little, like, montage, like, to Sid Haig, um, which they dedicated the film to, who, like, eerily enough, like, he passed away five days after the release of the film, so it's, like, it's, like, he, like, held on for it to be, like, released, and then, like, afterwards passed on, so pretty crazy. Mm, it is crazy, but, yeah, I think um, how they handle it, it's always awkward when you're an actor who's, like, passing or ill or something isn't it like for us as fans and then even more so for the filmmakers i think you know lionsgate were almost interested in just throwing in the tower and not making the movie at all yeah um, yeah there the 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 road to getting here was a little bit interesting because it was just kind of the way that um rob zombie's career ended up working out i'm sure he wanted to do the third film a little bit closer um, to Devil's Rejects because he did like he did once he did Devil's Rejects he's like I envision this as a trilogy and you can imagine he wanted to do this third film a little bit sooner but then you know he gets offered a nice 
big old paycheck to remake the Halloween movies. Mm. And, um, you know, he did the first one and then like he really didn't, he like said at, like, because people's responses were just like so insane and crazy to his Halloween. Like he was like, not only do I not want to do another Halloween movie, I don't know if I want to do movies like at all anymore. Like people like really were like fucking, you know, going crazy just because it was a Halloween movie. Um, which I mean, I've done an episode on, um, we talked about the whole Halloween franchise and I mentioned, I think I I really like his Halloween. I think his Halloween and Halloween two are better than pretty much every other sequel in the Halloween franchise minus Halloween two 81. Um, yeah, I really liked Rob's Halloween. Yeah. Um, That was a really interesting uh, take on take on it and like for me that movie feels like what people would have experienced when the original one came out like i don't know if it's the same but you know when you're when where we are now and with how modern horror is compared to some older horror like the older stuff feels a little tame so stuff like the budget wasn't there the effects aren't as good uh, i feel like for me you know rob when i saw rob's halloween like it sort of shook me up like you know <laughs> it was pretty nasty and it's like i wonder if this is how people felt when they saw carpenters originally <laughs> like this movie is fucked up yeah like you know it, it definitely um you know he he you know it, it was a hard spot for him because like he, you know he basically with that film he like tried to do the have his cake and eat it too like the first half yeah. of the film is like you know or like half of the film is you know the or really the middle section of the movie is basically like the actual remaking of Halloween yeah. and they kind of fly through it too. And like they do all the homages and stuff, but it's like the first third of the film is like all the backstory stuff that he gets to add in that people mm. didn't really want, I guess. And then like afterwards, you know, he's still got to add on more of his own stuff. And then like when Halloween two came, when it came to make Halloween two, they like, there were all sorts of ideas, and then he was like, fine, you want me to make Halloween 2? Well, I'm going to make it real weird and shit. And yeah. <laughs> so Halloween 2 <laughs> then also flopped. Yeah, I uh, finally got to see the director's cut of Halloween 2. Because over it, here in the UK, they like just dumped the theatrical one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the Blu-ray is one of the cheapest Blu-rays I've seen in a long time. And that, like... It's hard to describe, but the main menu is cheap. Like, it looks like it was made on a home computer. Yeah, and, like, like and, and and the director's cut makes a drastic difference in that one, too, I will say. Yeah. Um, he, he made something weird, and then they cut it to shreds and then, like, kind of made it worse. But then he got to release his full side. Which then led him to do Lords of Salem. He had to do something small budget, and um, he went to do something completely original. Um, that one has favor has some pretty favorable reviews as well. I'm sure we'll get to that on the show one day. And then, um, and then, and then he did 31, but he had to crowdfund that. Um, but then that movie actually performed well, which was how he was able to get the money to make this finally. Um, so it was yeah, very long road to finally get to Three from Hell. And you know, like it, it was interesting because like. Um, 
I didn't, because I mean, I know it did come out like the fall before, you know, like when everything went fucking wonky in the world. Um, but it was still enough time before, you know, vid stuff that I don't think it would have affected it, it as much. But it did. It didn't get a three from hell. Didn't get a full theatrical release. It like got like a one week limited run and then went to uh, streaming after that. Yeah, I think it just went to streaming and um, Blu-ray here. And yeah. then possibly like Fright Fest or something. Yeah, and like, you know, I just haven't really seen many people talk about it. Or I think people were just like, oh, it's been so long that they just didn't really care as much. Three from Hell isn't bad at all. It's pretty good. Like, I actually I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I thought there was going to be like a big drop off in quality for some reason. And I mean, it, it is just repeating a lot of the same beats from uh devil's reject from De- devil's rejects in certain areas. Um, but I still like the, and, and, and they didn't go as dark in this one as devil's rejects was like the bleak. It's not nearly as bleak. Um, this one, you definitely are meant to be like rooting for them a lot more. They kind of dial them back their, their sadisticness a little bit and they make it more comedic. Um, they, they, yeah. they, it's like, so they, I feel like this movie, they kind of tried to like do like an in-between of devil's rejects and house of a thousand corpses. Mm, for sure, I I definitely agree that they um they they toned things down a bit for sure, um, and not in like ways of like oh oh this is a nice guy now, but yeah more yeah like, I mean he's um, definitely still fucking crazy, <laughs> but yeah. well I think what rejects was sort of ballsy enough to do was have nice sort of characters have bad things happen to them like the 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 banjo and Sutherland. Yeah, you know, they're having their little argument or whatnot, but they seem like nice people. Yeah. While when they like take over the house and this one, you know, we make they make sure like the warden is a piece of shit and like the prison guards are all assholes and Exactly. So wronging bad people. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're definitely uh behind them a little bit more in this one. Um mm-hmm. and they again they set it up to where it's like, you know, Captain Spaulding does get executed. So then um, the Firefly's long-lost half-brother uh, comes along to help um, break them out. Uh, first break, or, well, Otis, or yeah, helps Otis escape first, and then uh, and then they help uh, Baby afterwards. Uh, Richard Brake playing, uh, oh, shoot, I'm still on the Devil's Rejects page oh. on Wikipedia. Ah! Wolf man, yeah, he, they they call him the Midnight Wolf Man. I do know that. <laughs> Winslow, Winslow Foxworth. Yes, Winslow, Winslow Foxworth Coltrane. He has quite the name, um, and I love Richard Brake. Um, you know, I love his little uh small role and Mandy as the the chemist, and um, Richard Brake also appears as um the one of the main killers in 31 he's absolutely terrifying and disgusting in that movie as well um but he he's playing in that movie kind of plays closer to like an otis character 
But in this one, he um, is more of a... Um, he's still crazy and into killing and shit, too, but he's, like, a little bit more, uh, I don't know, like, normal-ish. He's, he kind of just, like, looks like a, a trucker that does drugs. Like, he doesn't, like, come off as psychopathic as the other two, but he is still a crazy killer in his own right. Although I find his beard, the hair on his neck, <laughs> looks like chest hair. <laughs> Yeah, he's pretty. He's a pretty uh, gross. Pretty gross. Um, he he fits the. I mean, I I love the casting choice. I love, um, the the portrayal of his character. He actually, I feel like he does fit like very snugly into the Firefly uh family. Like it doesn't feel like this was like the first movie that he's in. Like halfway mm. through halfway through the movie, I feel I was like, oh yeah, I feel like he's been along the whole time. Like, you know, like, oh, wasn't he in Devil's Rejects? Oh, he wasn't? You know, like, it, like oh, he really sure does, he like... in Charlie's place? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he, he does really fit in quite perfectly um, as far as the acting style. And, like, he immediately, his banter with Otis, um, like, I like that he, like, banters with Otis, but he's, like, always, like, encouraging and on baby's side. Um, is like a really adds a really fun dynamic to them because like again like uh, one of the biggest strengths of three from hell is like this like sibling uh, relationship that the three of them have and mm. they like like this one they really do feel like just like you know a trio of siblings on some vacation shenanigans but their vacation shenanigans involves a lot of dead people you know people getting killed Mm, absolutely. And I was, uh, going for the, the family shit, I feel like he feels like a younger brother. Like, you know, he feels out of place at first. You know, uh, I was close with my younger brother growing up. And sort of when you hang out, when he'd end up hanging out with my friends, there was like a small period of adjusting when you're first there. And then you sort of forget that, oh, he's three years younger than us. <laughs> As you sort of learn to gel. Yeah, I I love that. Yeah, he like does kind of feel like he's like been on the outside. He like, and and I like that. Th- there's two f- really funny scenes where one it's him and Otis arguing about who's like the more notorious killer. Like you know, like compare, like you know, like no people know me because like they recognize my face and I'm fucking crazy and I've done this and they're like. And Otis is like, who the fuck even are you? Nobody knows who you are. And like, they like have this banter for a minute. And then there's like another scene where, um, um, they keep, they're, they're talking about like what they're going to do. And, um, Otis keeps saying the two of us. And then he, he goes, he literally goes, am I invisible? I am here. He goes, the three of us. (laughs) Yeah. And like, yeah, they just, they, they really just, uh, had a really fun dynamic and this one, yeah, like it feels more fun than, than Devil's Rejects does, but not as maniacal as House of a Thousand Corpses is. So it's like, I would, this is still the weakest of the trio, but, but really not by that much. Like, I mean, I feel like the they did really well with like the continuity. Like, I mean, Sherry Moon and Bill Mosley like look like like they would have picked up ten years later, not like a fifteen year gap like it actually is. Mm. Um they didn't miss a beat with their performances, like they were like really on point, like as if they again, like as if they didn't take fifteen years to make this movie, like 
Um, I was actually very impressed by like the continuity of the tone of it. Like it still looked very similar, um, a little bit cleaner than um, than the the than Devil's Rejects, but like. I feel like that just makes sense because of like, I guess like what the technological advancements would have been between the seventies and eighties and the documentary style. So, you know, I was actually very surprised with like how much continuity they kept like between this and devil's rejects. Mm, For sure. Like you could easily sort of double bill them. Uh, Yeah. And like, I just feel like this movie like wasn't, I just feel like it wasn't seen enough to like be talked about more because like I feel like this was is a very still worthy sequel and like worthy ending to the trilogy, you know. I mean, yeah. hell, and they could still do more even if they wanted to. Because like yeah. Richard Brake is there now, so I mean they could easily do another one if they like want to in a couple of years, but like it it just feels like a very like in a in a day and age when it's hard to nail trilogies especially when there's this long of a break in between i feel like that's very hard to do and we don't get enough like quality trilogies across the board so like that's what surprises me that like people don't talk about this one enough because nobody like talks shit on it or anything just it just doesn't get talked about at all yeah i think um really the the biggest issue with the film is it's not the devil's rejects yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's never gonna be like everything aligned for that. But yeah, like I've seen a couple of people bash online, but you sort of read their comments. And you're like, I don't think you watched the film. <laughs> I think exactly. you saw Sid Haig wasn't really in it, and you just wrote it off. Exactly, and I do think that's probably a big part of it as well. Yeah, like just people that didn't even see it, and they're just like, oh, it's 15 years later, and Sid Haig's barely in it. Like, no, this is gonna suck. Like. Uh, Rob Zombie's washed up. No, like, no. And like, this is a very competent film, a very worthy entry into, uh, the trilogy. Um, I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed it quite a bit, just not nearly as much, not as much as the other two, but it's definitely like not a big drop off for me. Um, in any way. Yeah. Uh, same here. Like, I think it, um, it, does a lot of good things. The chemistry, so they like you said, like they have their performances, um, and they manage to evolve the characters a little bit. But again, it doesn't feel like they've lost them or they want to do something new. Like it feels true to the character. Yeah, like I like that they did little things where, again, like Sherry Moon had a lot more to do in this one, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, and I like that there's like little advancements of like there's like a patch in the movie where like Otis doesn't really trust baby. Um, he's like, she seems she seems wackier, she's changed. And like imagine saying that, like coming from that motherfucker, you know. Um <laughs> She seems it, crazy. Yeah, she seems a little crazier. And it's like, <laughs> what does that even mean from you? You know? <laughs> Um, so I like how like that's like kind of part of it. There's like this like little bit of distrust there, and then like there's a little bit of dis like because Otis like you know is like he distrusts the world, but then like even and so he like distrusts um Foxy a little bit, but then at the same time he like knows they needs to trust them when he needs to, and mm. that they trust him as well, you know, to like get in and out of these situations that they find themselves in. Um, so I, I do like that. Yeah. There's, there's a progression here. Um, and even though like some of the beats still kind of felt the same, like 
you know, the scene where they're torturing the sheriff and his wife and that other couple in the, in the room feels like so similar to the devil's rejects one, even though they like, don't even take it as far in that one. Yeah. I, I felt that a few times. And it's just like, it it does feel, what's the right word? The words go in my head. It was almost like a hangout movie. It's like, come see your favorite characters, do some similar stuff. Gets yeah. some lines. I it's not really I don't think Rob's trying to say anything in the film. I think he just wants to hang out with these characters again. Give us a chance to see them do their thing again. Yeah. Because like the it, it was like funny because like the way that the movie's like paced out, like mm-hmm. by the time that they um, you know, are all reunited again and like escape like from the, the prison, like mm-hmm. it, it felt like that was like already like coming up on the climax of the movie and i was like oh man that flew by and then like i paused for a second i was like wait there's still 55 minutes left i was like what are we gonna do and then it's literally they just like go and party in mexico for a little bit and then a gang in mexico wants to kill them so then they got to get away from this gang now and like that's the second half it literally feels like two two different movies um mm. so like it, it, the the pacing did like kind of feel weird because there was like no plot to be had like okay they escaped prison and got reunited like what else is there to do and then rob was just like oh yeah well, I, I still have another half of a movie let's just <laughs> go on a mexican road adventure <laughs> yeah totally i did the same thing because i ended up watching it um again quite late and same point like sort of with the family all broken out. It's like, can't be that much longer left. Uh, gotta get up work early. Let's just see. Pause. Like, another hour? What? Yeah. What so, next? yeah. So it, 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 it got me, got me there a little bit, but, um, but I still enjoyed it. Like, I mean, we still have some fun bits, you know, the, the fun of them, like getting drunk in the, in the bar and we get like the fun split screen, like color shots and stuff. And, we have baby winning a knife throwing contest because, like I said, like that little bit from um, Devil's Rejects came back around, which I was happy with. Um, and yeah, it it literally does feel just like kind of like a, a hangout thing. Um, but we still get a lot of like the same really good stuff too. Like, um, there's so many great lines of dialogue like between the two of them. I know a lot of people um, have feelings about Rob Zombie's dialogue, and we'll kind of get to that more here in a minute. Um, mm. But, like, a, a, another consistent character thing is the way that Otis will always say, like, Otis thinks he's everything. Like, he thinks he is the, the everything. So, like, every time somebody says something, he'll be like, no, I, I, you're not that. I'm that. Like, and he says it a lot. <laughs> and there's a, there's a, um, when the, when little Sebastian, like, came in to, like, tell him they're coming. And then, um the prostitute like translates is like oh he says that satan is here and he's here to kill you and then <laughs> otis goes what how the hell is satan here to kill me i am satan and like <laughs> it's a, but he does it throughout both these movies like so much like um somebody said something about like you're Im-, or it, they're like like we're not gonna survive that that's impossible and he goes what the fuck are you talking about i am impossible <laughs> Uh, the one that uh, sticks in my head is the I think it's in Rejects it's like I am Willy Wonka this is my factory yeah yeah he goes I am Willy Wonka this is my chocolate factory 
Well, the one that um, the line that gets me in this one is when he's turning the sheriff to break baby out, and the sheriff's like, "She's crazy! I take the cuffs off, she'll kill me." And he's just like, "I will write you a note." Yeah, he has <laughs> some really great subtle subtle times of um of comedy here and there. Um, there was um. <laughs> There, there was one scene that uh, really got me. Um, fuck, where was it? They're like, oh, they're, um, there's like a, a funny scene where like baby is just like standing there and she like, she's like, oh man, baby needs a shower. And then she's like, I smell. And she's like, here, Otis, smell me. And he's like, he's like, no, I don't want to smell. And she's like, and she goes, no, come on, smell me. And then you hear him in the background go, oh, all right. <laughs> as if to, like literally agreeing to smell his sister and then it like also then cuts to a shot of them where she's like punching him in the chest and he's like yeah punch me hard is that all you got and like they just have like a really funny like sibling relationship that like again like these the little like and 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 in that scene whenever uh she's like saying to like smell him like it's one of the few times you actually see otis like smile like he, he 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 never smiles, but there's like a couple scenes where he cracks like a really small smile, and it's usually him laughing at something that baby's doing. <laughs> yeah, I think she even brings it up. This when they hit Mexico, she's like, "Just such a grouch. Just smile more." Yeah, yeah. Uh, so does uh, so does Foxy too. At one point, goes, "Man, you really are a grouch." Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the 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 only other part where he laughs, and this is like his moment with Foxy, is they're just sitting. They're talking about they should start making movies, and then they're talking about going into porn. They're talking about uh, the Salami Man. <laughs> and making a porn uh, a series of porn movies where the catchphrase is show me your salami motherfucker and it's just like them having a laugh at this and it's like again just like one of the few times you actually see like Otis smile and it's just like him having a dumb conversation with his little brother yeah and so I wouldn't be surprised if that was like just the pair of them riffing and it's just like well cameras quickly <laughs> like... exactly um yeah, like I don't know. I just I again, I I'm just I'm just kind of surprised that like, you know, people don't appreciate this movie a little bit more as like, you know, yeah, is it does it reach the heights of Devil's Rejects or like it, is it as crazy or scary or as funny as House of Thousand Corpses? Like, yeah, you know, no, maybe not, but like appreciate that we do have just like another, you know, quality film where it is like even if it is kind of like hitting some of those same beats and like you are just getting to hang out with these characters. Like these characters have become, you know, like kind of modern, I, you know, modern horror icons in their own rights. You know, you mm. see the, you know, fans that they do have at these horror conventions and stuff like that. So it's like, I feel like, you know, they, they are, you know, favorite characters. That's what people go to these movies for. And as far as that goes, like giving us just more of these characters that we enjoy and the things that we enjoy about them, we pretty we do get that in this film. Mm. We also get some pretty solid action set pieces. We get some good kills. Like I don't know what much more you want from this movie. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, there's a real underappreciation for good films. You know, films that don't hit great mm -hmm. but aren't bad. You know people seem to be this all or nothing if it's not great it's garbage it's like no no like 
there are these middle of the road good films that are a good time that you should check out. And this, yeah, yeah. this is one of them. Yeah, we we definitely deal with extremes in um, today's modern film commentary. I'd say you know it's either either you have to love it or you or you hate it. You know, like. You know, when people are like, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. And it's like, you need to see more movies then if you think this is like one of the worst <laughs> movies ever, you know? I thought that so much lately. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, you know, to kind of take us out of the episode, um, you know, just kind of talk about, you know, Rob Zombie's um, uh, filmography in general and him kind of as a director. Because, like, you know, I it, it kind of surprises me the amount of you know, people that dislike Rob Zombie, dislike his style, um, mm. you know, because like one thing that I appreciate him above all else is like, you know, that he loves this genre. Like he loves, mm. he loves what he's doing. He loves the movies that he gets to make. And like just his enthusiasm for the genre itself makes me happy. Like, you know, the fact that we don't lift up, you know, these directors that really go to bat for the genre, you know, mm. Um, so it's like, that's one thing that I really appreciate about him, even if, and like, even if all of his movies don't hit, he is taking swings, he is being ambitious and he's making the movies that he wants to make, you know? And I, um, as an aspiring director myself, that's like, you know, something that I appreciate, you know, that he just like kind of does his own thing. Um, I know the, uh, Joe Rogan podcast has a negative connotation these days, but if you if you're into Joe Rogan at all, um, his episode with Rob Zombie is actually really really great. Yeah, and, um, it's a really great episode. And like you really hear like Rob's passion for film and for for art in general. Like he is a, just this overall artist. Like you know, like it, it's hard to call Rob Zombie an auteur director, but I mean, but when you go by like the definition of it, like someone that's kind of more, um, you know. Uh, more concerned with with style and character work and um you know things like that and like you know his homages to cinema like yeah he's kind of he's in that camp um but um yeah we've talked now at this point we've talked most of his films except for 31 and lords of salem um what are um what are your favorite of uh, rob zombie's films Ooh, um I mean, Rejects is my overall favorite, um, but I think there's there's like a combination of nostalgia and it's just the kind of style that I um, love. So it's a special movie in a lot of ways for me. So it's got more connections than the others. Um, but I've been fascinated with Rob Zombie since House of a Thousand Corpses, because um, that came out when I was like doing film studies in college, and it was so different. Like anything that had come out recently like anything I'd kind of seen at the time so you know it's like I hadn't touched anything Lynchian or since I was finding my seat but even like when you go into sort of looking at other directors and stuff like House of a Thousand Corpses is a unique film and a great DVD if you can get one of the first pressings of stuff they mm-hmm. had animated menus where the cast like came on and spoke over the menu Oh, okay. So, so the first time I watched it, uh, me and Fre- a bunch of friends got together and we like watched the menus first. So like the first menu had Spalding come out and just like explain the menu, and then he starts 
riff in when you don't like click anything. Mm-hmm. It's more progressively angry as you like don't click anything. Yeah, that's like, a that's a good one to fall asleep to because it has a good menu. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, like I was never a huge Michael Myers fan, so I was excited by a Halloween remake. I know that's kind of like um, blasphemous. But uh, John Carpenter did five remakes, so if he's happy to remake stuff, I think... And he always seems fine when people remake his things. Mm-hmm. You know? In fact, I've always loved John Carpenter's attitude where he's sort of like, they gave me a check to do nothing. They can remake all my movies. So I, After a special one, it's just like, yeah, they just gave me money. Like, what do I care? My movie's still out there. Yeah, no, <laughs> I... Um, you know, and I, I definitely, I just want to see, I would love to see, um, you know, I would like to see him get, get, get a nice little budget for something, you know, yeah, and I'd really, like really let Rob Zombie loose a little bit. Um, I remember, mm. um, being fascinated with his, his music videos whenever I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I remember there, cause, um, there was a, I would always watch this like heavy metal. There was like this block of heavy metal music videos in the mornings, um, at like a certain, on like a, on a certain channel. And I would always get up in the morning and I would set up the couch cushions, like, like drums. And I would like use wooden spoons and I'd play them. And, but I remember that the, uh, video for Dragula would come on all the time. And I was like, this is like the coolest thing ever. Like, I want to ride on one of those. Because it, it literally, the, the video is like a demented, like, Charlie and uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory um, <laughs> scene. Like, it's very similar to the to the uh, the boat ride scene. Mm. See? God, it all, yeah. comes full, that. all comes full circle. <laughs> that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory reference wasn't for nothing in The Devil's Rejects. No. <laughs> Like he, and of course, he, with his uh, new film, that, that song comes even better because it's the Munsters car in the video. Oh, yeah. Rob Zombie is doing the Munsters. Um, I totally forgot that, that that's uh, coming out pretty soon. So yeah. hopefully, you know, like hopefully this does well financially because this is, you know, a, taking over a property for a studio. So if this does good financially, that means he will then get a budget to do something original after that. And yeah, I know a cool. lot of people are worried about it, but I think they're going to be really surprised. I mean, I it's going to be. Could, can you really ruin the monsters? I mean, are they that sacred? Um, <laughs> like, come on, people! Like, people, not my monsters! Like, get get the fuck out of here! <laughs> I, I reckon it's going to be the least Rob Zombie <laughs> type of movie, but also like. Point B is like most personal as well. <laughs> it feels very Rob Zombie. Yeah, I'm like, um, I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm in, I'm intrigued to see how it turns out. But um, it was uh so fun talking um a plethora of Rob Zombie films. I'm glad I got to close out the Firefly trio. So uh, Warren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, and um, what are you working on currently? Where can the people find you on social media? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Warren underscore Bedensky. Um, so that's usually the easiest thing for me. I'm on Instagram. I'm not entirely sure what the at is on that. Probably my name again. <laughs> but, uh, you can also check out my first film, Simon. Um, 
if you want to see what a really small almost slasher movie on a tiny budget looks like these days i say these days it's about five years old <laughs> um it's kind of like it's, i like it but yeah you should check it out i earn money if you check it out <laughs> yeah i will but, i want to give a shout out to um uh our mutual friend gwendolyn because uh if she hadn't put that tweet up like just responding to your tweet um this probably would never happened yes um yes definitely a shout out to gwen i um appreciate that yeah and that is how we end up getting linked up so yes shout out to gwen for sure and i will put the um links to warren's social media and um his film in the show notes so yeah definitely go check that out um i don't really have much else for you because i have not scheduled out the rest of this month yet as of this recording so who knows what movies we're going to be talking about next week um it'll be a nice little secret present for you under the tree we'll see what daddy's got cooking for you um but in the meantime if you could go on to your podcast listener of choice and go on there rate it five stars write a nice little review i'd very much appreciate that especially on apple podcast would help get this podcast into more people's ear holes but that will go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday, so make sure you are following the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BloodyBluntCC, and also following your boy on Twitter and Instagram at underscore DaddyDisco. That'll go ahead and do it, guys. So until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>